See you tomorrow. Hello, welcome to The Hill. Have you heard yet about what a Hamas official is now vowing? He's saying the terrorist group plans to repeatedly attack Israel. Coming up in minutes, we'll speak to Israel's ambassador to the United States. Get his reaction on that and fresh comments as well from the commander in chief. Plus, the former president, Donald Trump's New York fraud trial, officially a full-blown family affair. His children now testifying. So what did Donald Trump Jr. say in court today? And there are brand new numbers out along the southern border. It is a top five month of all time. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Ashley Davis is a former George W. Bush White House official. Scott Bolden, the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman. And Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, thank you for being with us here once again on The Hill. We begin tonight with this, the threat from a Hamas official warning about, as he puts it, the destruction of Israel. We must remove that country because it constitutes a security, military, and political catastrophe to the Arab and Islamic nation and must be finished. We are not ashamed to say this with full force. The Al-Aqsa flood is the first time, and there will be a second, a third, a fourth, because we have the determination, the resolve, and the capabilities to fight. Chris, the comments are actually about a week old. They're just coming to the forefront now. But if you needed any reminder of what is at stake here 26 days in, that brings it uh, to the front, does it not? Well, the divisions in, and we saw in the new survey that uh, for uh, News Nation, done by mm-hmm. our friends at Deci- Decision Desk HQ, uh, Americans are, are pretty united behind Israel. But when you see stuff like that, you understand how untenable the position of the equivalizers, the people who say, well, you know, it's complicated, one on both sides. When you hear that, mm-hmm. it becomes much harder for the anti-Israel faction to maintain their position. And I, I think this is, while terrible to hear, good news for the Israelis because it, it makes it plain. It makes it bare. Mm-hmm. And especially as we're starting to vote on this funding on the Hill, whether in the House, in the Senate, and with the president, I mean, I do think it's very helpful. But I think that there's also as many emotions on the Israel, pro-Israel side as there are on the other side. And that's why I don't, who knows how long this conflict's going to last. Well, what does the U.S. do about its uh, two-state uh, position, two-party state position in that region? It makes it more difficult the rhetoric, whatever side, makes it more difficult to implement that, or is it even achievable at this point? And will this war change what our position is, given the angst on both sides and the ability to um, to bomb one another, if you will? Julia? What's remarkable is that a lot of the rhetoric seen in that video has been picked up by a lot of, um, you know, some activists here in the United States, a number of activists. I don't want to generalize. There are lots of pro- uh, protesters who support Palestinian liberation, who are peaceful, who are not anti-Semitic. However, over the past week, particularly on college campuses in mm-hmm. big cities, we have heard violent language, uh, language towards the Jewish population, and it's only intensifying at this point. All right, well, now on up to Capitol Hill and the House Speaker, Mike Johnson, trying to make his first big deal 
A standalone emergency aid package to Israel is expected to be voted on at some point here this week. And the speaker is trying to pay for it by cutting IRS funding. That's upset some Democrats. And today he got some unwelcome news because the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimates that the plan would actually raise the national deficit by approximately twelve and a half billion dollars. Julie, I think about like in baseball when the top prospect gets called up, right? And he's on the pitcher's mound for the first time, throws the best curveball he's ever thrown. It gets smacked for a double and they say, welcome to the show. Yeah, exactly. Look, um, I'm the show that I'm looking forward to is how you have someone like Mitch McConnell and Speaker Johnson uh, two Republicans who don't really know each other by most accounts. They're getting to know each other over this, um, you know, kerfuffle over foreign policy. What this is going to be like. Uh, Speaker Johnson is learning, and he has a big learning curve, how to appease the many factions in the Republican Party in the House conference. And this is being reflected here in terms of foreign policy. Just the, the optics on this whole conditional support for Israel by taking money from the IRS, which basically would help protect the rich, uh, it's just a, a, a bad first pitch to throw, if you will, as a speaker. It makes absolutely no sense, and it seems to politicize uh, what's going on in the Middle East between Hamas and Israel. Israel is most important to our, our ally there, and yet the Republicans seem to be willing to play politics with it. Here's what Mike Johnson, though, said. He said, I'm not surprised at all. Only in Washington, when you cut spending, do they call it an increase in the deficit. Does it make no sense or was he on the right track here? Well, it does, but I'm sure there, who knows how the CBO works. I mean, it's a black box, as everyone knows. But I mean, I'm sure it's because they're saying that they won't collect as much money as they would under the rich. So, I mean, it does kind of make sense. However, this was one of the main things that House Republicans ran on was cutting, you know, this IRS funding. And so Republicans hate it. I'm not but saying they it was... they cut a deal with Biden six, nine months ago. I understand ago, that. Uh, through McCarthy. McCarthy did, which okay. is why he's, well, he's out right now. He's, he's the old yeah. law. He's <laughs> the old law. What are you talking but about? But my point is, I think that's why he, the Speaker, did this. But I think more fundamentally, I don't think that he gets... I don't know if you get a package that contains both Israel and Ukraine funding together through the House. So I actually think it's going to be separated. Okay, so the way that he won the speakership, Mm -hmm. and you heard his speech when he announced after he after he was declaring victory, we're going to let the House work its will. We're going to let the process work out. We're going to let these committees work. And if you're a normie or a super MAGA or whatever, you're like, yeah, okay, we can live with that. Makes sense. Here's the problem. When you walk in the door, what's the first thing that you've got to do? You've got emergency funding stacked up like planes over the yeah. runway at Reagan going down the Potomac. And after he does this, there's going to be a continuing resolution next month. There's Ukraine funding, as you allude to. There's all this stuff that's got to get done this year, and you can't work that stuff through a regular <laughs> order. So what he's going to say is, okay, I know how I said we were going to be cool. We're not going to be cool. I'm actually going to jam you on this stuff. But then next Next year, I promise we're going to be nice. <laughs> Welcome to the show moment, right? Like, exactly. I'm going to go fastball, curveball, change up, and then you actually have to step on the mound right. and, and throw the pitch. And the first pitch he threw, meat. Meat, yeah. Like, um, Kevin so, McCarthy's but, probably smiling. You right think now, so? Like right. Kevin McCarthy back there, like, told you so. So what's going to change, though? You go through that process. You go through your scenario, right? right? And at the end, does he survive, or do we just have a continuing dysfunctional 
House of Representatives. Well, once you once you have the taste for rebellion and the guillotine has been out, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to put it away, right? It's so easier to. Yeah, so he needs mm-hmm. to get over into into next year, and it'll cool down because right now, uh, you know, the the heavy heavy uh, lies the head uh, that wears the. But he's okay. more trusted. So one, uh, you know, the the package that was put forth Texas by the White good. House was. Israel aid, Ukraine aid, and border security. We got some new numbers out today as it relates to CBP, Customs and Border Protection. 241,000 people crossed into the U.S. in October. That was the third highest month ever. The last 12 months, 2.4 million encounters at the southern border, Ashley. It, it, It goes to show that with all of this talk about Ukraine, Israel, how does it package together? There's still this really big issue down there at the southern border, and we got numbers today reminding us of that. And you know this is one of my biggest issues, and I think it's a huge problem, not just because we don't have a southern border policy, and whether people agreed with what former President Trump did or not, we were stopping people at the border. But what makes me nervous, and look at some of the other numbers that you'll bring up later, are not the people that are coming over with kids that are trying to have a new life, but the kids, people that are coming over that want to harm us. Remember, that's how all the terrorists came through before September 11th, 2001. And that's how people look at the countries that are coming across now. I mean, you've got Syria, Egypt. I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but you have a lot because we <laughs> disagreed last time. <laughs> but there is there are a lot of people coming across this border that should not be coming across okay. the border that so want to hurt who us. in that number. Who in that number shouldn't be coming across the border? We've apprehended them. We know who they are. Right. You can't presume that that roughly thousand people who came across the border from the Middle East, who are from Arab countries, that some how they're intending to do harm in the U.S. You shouldn't do that. That's dangerous. But I'm just saying, out of those thousand people, there's two more thousand that are probably getting across. That's conjecture. That we don't know that. We're ab- and by the way, these okay, apprehension then- numbers, that, that means people are coming here to chase the American dream. We need to fix why they're coming here so, more so than putting a number up about apprehension. If this is such a, a big issue as we know that it is, why didn't Mike Johnson put it on the floor first? Because there's some conservatives who are saying he should have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, if you talk to our presidential candidates that are, if you talk to Nikki, her number one issue that she hears is the border and the economy. And they're interchangeable. So people care about this issue right now. Chris, last word to you. Well, I mean, the, the best, I want to quote my friend and colleague Jonah Goldberg, <laughs> uh, my preference for uh, U.S. immigration policy is to have one. Because we don't have one. And uh, it's a bipartisan failure that Congress and has not delivered on what 60 or 70 percent of Americans want, which is enforcement combined with a pathway to citizenship for those who are here illegally. And uh, we have the perverse incentives of a duopoly and a bipartisan failure. All right. Well, turning back now to the war between Israel and Hamas. A short time ago in the state of Minnesota, President Biden spoke about Americans leaving Gaza. Now, he stressed the urgent need for humanitarian assistance and reaffirmed the United States' unwavering support for Israel. The United States is going to continue to drive humanitarian support for innocent people in Gaza who need help, and they do need help. We're going to continue to affirm that Israel has the right to responsibility to defend its citizens from terror, and it needs to do so in a manner that is consistent with international and humanitarian law. 
Joining us now is Michael Herzog. He is Israel's ambassador to the United States and joins us here on the Hill for the first time live. Mr. Ambassador, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Let's begin with the comments there uh, from President Biden. Do you take any issue, uh, Mr. Ambassador, with, with how the president was framing that there? Well, what this president said is uh, what he's been saying for a while, that uh, while Israel is the right and, in fact, the duty to defend itself and defend its citizens, we also have to be, take care of the humanitarian situation in Gaza, and we are, in fact, doing it. Uh, we are ramping up humanitarian uh, supplies into Gaza, into those areas which are away from uh, Hamas in the southern part of Gaza. The number of truckloads every day has doubled and going up more and more. Uh, we provide water, we provide other types of uh, supplies, and today, for the first time, we're happy to see foreigners leave Gaza. So uh, we don't need urging, uh, urging in that sense. Our cabinet uh, discussed this week uh, this issue and decided that there are no limitations as long as uh, we can make sure that Hamas does not put its hands on humanitarian supplies and uses them to feed its war machine. That will not happen. But short of that, everything is open. Um, you say everything is open. Aboard Air Force One today, John Kirby, who's the spokesperson for the National Security Council, sir, said that uh, that the U.S. supports temporary pauses in the fighting so that aid can get in and people could get out. Would would Israel go along with that, or is is the Biden administration trying to have it both ways? I do not know what uh, temporary pauses or humanitarian pauses mean. If people talk about a ceasefire, it's not going to happen because we are not going to stop our war efforts to destroy the Hamas war machine. Much the same as the U.S. wouldn't stop. Uh, its effort against uh, uh, al-Qaeda after 9-11. We are in the middle of a war, and we have to finish that war and make sure that Hamas cannot threaten us again. While we're doing it, we have an obligation to provide humanitarian solutions on the ground, and we are doing it. As we talk, close to 100 truckloads are going into Gaza every day now. So I don't know what exactly a pause means, but if you talk about providing humanitarian solutions to innocent civilians while the war goes on against Hamas and the terrorists, that's what we are on, and we're doing it uh, while we talk. Do you, we do you have any idea what it means? Do you, like, do, do, you, do you have a guess as to what a temporary pause in the, in the fighting might be? And if not, might you say anything to, I no to the idea. administration? I have no idea. It has yet to be defined. If people want to talk to us about humanitarian solutions, yes, we are all ears. But if, if people talk to us about ceasefire, our answer is no. We are in the middle of a war. We don't want to give Hamas a victory, and we will not. I want to ask you about Jordan, uh, Mr. Ambassador. It recalled... Uh, its ambassador from Israel, and it told the Israeli ambassador in Jordan to, to basically stay away. As you know, there was a peace deal that was struck between the two nations, Israel and Jordan, back in 94, nearly some 30 years ago. Is that peace deal at risk, as you see it? The peace deal is not at risk. I think it will survive. It's been there since 94, as, uh, as you correctly noted. It's uh, not a favor to Israel. I think it's uh, in Jordan's interest to have a, a peace relations with Israel. I understand that they are under pressure, and uh, unfortunately, they withdrew the ambassador for consultations. But I think the peace deal is solid and will remain intact. 
By the way, talking about Jordan, let me remind everybody, you and your viewers, that Hamas was a big enemy of Jordan, was outlawed in Jordan for many, many years. So they are the first to know who is Hamas and what it stands for. I'll leave you with this, uh, Mr. Ambassador. The Rafa crossing today, as you know, was open to foreigners. Is, is that a sign, in your view, that Egypt might be willing to do more? Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, the exit of foreigners was facilitated uh, through uh, an Egyptian role, an Israeli role. Hamas blocked it for a while, but I'm happy to say that today uh, it happened, and we expect more to happen in the coming days. Would you expect uh, Israel, uh, uh, Egypt rather to take Gaza refugees? If, if the short answer is yes, uh, what about that no, possibility? No, we're not, we're, not talk, we're, we're not talking about Egypt uh, hosting uh, Gaza refugees. We're talking about Egypt uh, taking in injured people to its hospitals and providing humanitarian support into Gaza. Uh, the Egyptians are very much on board, and uh, everything that is done on the Egypt-Gaza border is well-coordinated between the U.S., Israel, and Egypt. Ambassador Herzog, we have to leave it there. Uh, as I mentioned, thank you very much for your time, and we hope you come on back. Ambassador, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Um, Julia, um, he says he, he wasn't sure what a temporary uh, pause in the fighting means. It, 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 is, the, is, is the administration trying to have it both ways here? Because when I saw that, I, I had the same question. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think the administration is. And this is an incredibly, and I know we've heard this so much over the past couple of weeks, but it's an incredibly complex situation because the Biden administration wants to acknowledge that Israel has a right to defend itself, has a right to root out the Hamas terrorists that were behind the October 7th attacks. But the fact of the matter is there are civilians in the way. And Israel, it seems, and, you know, that they've been doing this for the past couple of weeks, has sort of, um, you know, tried ignored the civilians in many ways and have gone straight to those to the terrorist targets. The problem is Hamas uses civilians as human shields. So the president and Israel in many ways are caught between this rock and a hard place. But the pressure on the president is really ramping up from not only uh, the U.N., um, but also other allies of the United States. The images coming out of Gaza, including the refugee camp that was bombed yesterday, are not a good look. And, you know, the, the, the Jordanian ambassador and what's going on between Jordan and Israel, do you think it was notable there that he basically said that peace deal mm-hmm. stays intact? And that's um, what, it, what does Hamas want? They want to avoid the Sunni side of the Gulf uh, joining together and making peace with Israel because it ends the argument that Hamas has, that, that bloodthirsty argument that you heard from the gentleman before. And what I would say, my other favorite in this is the, the Hamas official who was asked in an interview, we have all these tunnels under, uh, uh, you have all these tunnels here, why don't you let the people shelter in the tunnels? He said, no, we need the tunnels to fight the war so they can't come into the tunnel. And that perfectly encapsulates who it is that's putting these civilians at And this risk. is why they can't pause, because right. Hamas isn't going to pause. Right. Right. All right, well, coming up, a surge in South Carolina. A new poll shows that Nikki Haley is jumping into second place in the GOP primary in her home state. So what's behind the boost, and will it stick? Steyerwald breaks it down when The Hill on News Nation returns. The one and only... Football is the game of life. 
and it brings the community together. White, black, boys, girls. Flag, tackle. Football can revive communities. That's why I think you know, football is on the right path. Community with football is very accepting and loving to people who enjoy the sport. Win or lose, they do it as a family. Futureforfootball.com The ladies of Designing Women call Antenna TV home. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. I love it. Whoever said there's no such thing as a silly question clearly never watched Designing Women. Who is this pig you're carrying on with? Where was your underwear? What the heck are you talking about? Catch Designing Women on the network that makes you laugh all day and all night. Our daughter, Jessie, loves playing detective. A clue. But since we discovered she has sensitive skin, we've been playing detective, too. We thought the problem was our puppy. But it was actually our old detergent. Aha. Uh-huh. So we switched to Tide Free and Gentle. Tide cleans better than the leading competitive free detergent, and it doesn't leave behind irritating residues. Plus, Tide Free and Gentle has no dyes or perfumes, so it's gentle on her skin. Case closed. If it's got to be clean, it's got to be tied free and gentle. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. I'm not calling. Martha, right now is the Medicare annual enrollment period. 2024 Medicare Advantage plans are now a- What's that sound? That's the sound of Downy Unstoppable scent beads going into your washing machine and giving your clothes freshness that lasts all day long. There it is again. It's like music to your ears or more like music to your nose. That freshness is irresistible. Let's get a Downy Unstoppables bottle shake. And now a sniff solo. Nice. Get six times longer lasting freshness plus odor protection with Downy Unstoppables in wash centipedes. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. This Black Friday, Antenna TV is having a black and white blowout. Sounds like a lot of fun. Watch TV how it was meant to be in glorious black and white. Hey, that looks good. A full day of your favorite classic shows in magnificent monochrome. Your television satisfaction is guaranteed. This you have got to see. Watch Antenna TV's Black and White Friday Marathon, November 24th, starting at 5 Eastern on Antenna TV. Central only on News Nation. Welcome back here to the Hill on News Nation. A new poll of voters in the key electoral state of South Carolina shows that former President Donald Trump holds a commanding lead over his GOP rivals. But that's not all. We saw in the poll, uh, not not all that we saw in the poll, rather. News Nation's Chris Dyerwalt here to break it down. Chris. 
I I was not in the poll. Uh, so <laughs> everybody knows that you want momentum. Momentum's what you want when you're w- running for president. You got to have forward progress. You got to have the energy going forward. And we're getting down to it, right? So we're uh, less than two months away, or we're about two months away from the Iowa caucuses, and things are starting to shake out. You saw Mike Pence drop out, uh, and things are moving. But I first want you to look here at this new poll from the cable news network uh, that looks at the numbers in South Carolina. There's Donald Trump, 53%. There's Nikki Haley, former governor of the state at 22. And there's Ronnie D at 11%. In fourth place, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Okay, so you'd think, well, that's just pretty normal. She's a former governor of that state. Why, why shouldn't she be? Well, we don't have an exact mirror for this poll, but let's look at what the numbers, how different they are from a high-quality poll that was taken this summer. This one was for Fox Business. Oh, my gosh, look at that. Okay, so Donald Trump is up as he has continued to consolidate his lead. But Nikki Haley has moved past uh, Ron DeSantis here. He's down two. And most significantly there, you see that Tim Scott is down four. So this is the movement. That's the momentum that you want. And for Nikki Haley, this doesn't just have consequences in South Carolina. This has consequences in Iowa. This has consequences in New Hampshire because people want to back a winner. And what Republicans are looking for very much right now is either they're in for Trump or they're looking to consolidate behind an alternative. And now that Pence is out and uh, Tim Scott is sputtering, you know that if you're the South Carolina senator and you're all in on Iowa, that doesn't say good things about how you think you're going to do in your home state. So there's momentum here behind Haley. This could be happening. She's got another debate coming up, so maybe that's going to go. Why is this happening for her? And I want you to take a look at this. This is from our most delectable, high-quality, delicious News Nation poll conducted by uh, our partners at Decision Desk HQ. What's an important issue for Republican voters? Well, if you, here's the number. I want you to compare these. It's very important to protect Israel. Among all voters in the United States, they said it. 44% of them said it's very important. Among Republican voters, you see that's five points higher. Uh, when asked whether U.S. policy was not supportive enough of Israel, among all American voters, that's 16%. It's uh, much higher, 25%, among Republicans. Who does that benefit? Nikki Haley. That's just a snapshot of why Nikki Haley is a former ambassador to the United Nations who has been staunch on foreign policy, where Ron DeSantis has staggered around, has not been able to do it. But I want you to look at one last number, and this is where Nikki Haley could run into trouble from same poll. Inflation, a bigger problem among all voters, 54% GOP voters, huge. Look here, though, at immigration. All voters say, what's the biggest problem? Uh, immigration, 23%. GOP voters, 37%. What does that mean? Ron DeSantis has an opportunity on the issues here. Nikki Haley has a weak spot because she hasn't campaigned much on uh, the economy or immigration. Uh, so she's going to probably get to hear about that on the debate stage. And there you go. I broke it down. Styrewell breaks it down. Uh, so I guess that leads to the question, is Nikki Haley at her ceiling right now? No, no, no. I mean, well. Or close to it. She could, Oh, my gosh. You just gave me a nasty look. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to say anything mean about your friend. I'm not going to say anything mean about your friend. just gave me, like, what on well, what planet are you on? I that she is, she is campaigning on immigration and the economy. I know. I know. She, she, she could be all things to all people. But what I'm saying is 
Ron DeSantis has campaigned on immigration. He's basically said that he's going to invade Mexico, right? He has taken he's taken it all the way. I'm sending special forces into Mexico if I'm elected. Nikki Haley, who's trying to be more of a stateswoman, knows that she can't say some goofy stuff like that. So DeSantis, when he comes for her and he will be coming yeah. hard for her, yeah. uh, his super PAC's already dumping money on her. Immigration, as those as our polls show, immigration is where she's where she's vulnerable because that's where Republicans are the most agitated. Yeah, but DeSantis, uh, he may have the opportunity, but he didn't have a track record of taking care, taking advantage of that opportunity. In fact, I would venture to say that he's the only GOP candidate that has not moved up. He's moved down. Yeah, Everyone else has moved up or down. It costs, it costs, so it you can't put a, a whole lot of stock in. It cost $100 Santa. million dollars for him to lose 15 points if yeah. he keeps going <laughs> exactly. at that rate. It, it, it cost him $200 million model. to drop out. If you, if you, you, turn, you, you close your business if that was your business so, so the only thing I say about that is uh, you have to be humiliated at least once to become a presidential nominee. Mm-hmm. There are people that have been humiliated and come back. John McCain very famously took a terrible beating and then mm-hmm. came back. Uh, in New Hampshire and does all that stuff. I agree with you. He does not have a track record of competency or that he enjoys doing it or people enjoy him doing it. But, you know, you never know. When does he get out? DeSantis. Ronnie D., I don't think he can... Let's talk about Tim Scott first. Well, well, so Tim Scott, the question for Tim Scott is, Mike Pence has now set the bar. He said, I got to go. I'm not going to just, I'm not going to suck around here and hope for something to break through. Tim Scott's in the next debate. If Tim Scott uh, can't break out of this debate and doesn't have this moment, the pressure's on him uh, out of obligation to his party. And by the way, it's his home state, it's his home state governor. Uh, He's probably got to go. All right, I got to run. But since you gave me that look, Ashley, (laughs) I'm going to let you defend Haley. Here I think for a that, second. that Nikki has the clear number two. I mean, no one's talking about the poll that came out at the beginning of this week that she uh, over she's over DeSantis in Iowa as well. Yeah, so no, no. she's a clear number two. I can only break down one poll at a time. Okay, okay, you okay. But you've got to do that. Break it down. Sarah puts all his energy into breaking <laughs> it down. Right. What do you want? What do you want? I'm just one pundit. Julia, last thought real quick. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I think Nikki Haley is slowly solidifying herself as the second place candidate here. Right. The problem is, where does she go from here? This is still Trump's race. All right. So coming up, Donald Trump Jr. takes a stand in his father's civil fraud trial. So what did he say? And what is next for the Trump family? That's coming up. And yet another member of Congress says he's done. Uh, Chris, I, I think you think this is a big deal. This story. Uh, yeah, 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 you do. All right. Uh, So Chris will explain why he feels that way. Coming up after the break. Stay with us. Well, we were supposed to move on to something else, but how could we not take up this? Live look right now. Floor of the House of Representatives. That, of course, is George Santos. Uh, House members are voting to potentially expel him. He is charged with a whole lot. Uh, We don't need to go through it, but potential federal crimes. And now he is on the floor of the House of Representatives trying to save his seat. Julia? Look, um, George Santos was seen in 2020 when he was first elected during the uh, last midterms as someone who was, um, you know, the future of the Republican Party, a person of color. (laughs) A person before all of the baggage came out, a person of color, uh, someone who is a part of the LGBTQ uh, community and such. Then you saw all this baggage come out. But he also, through all of that baggage, he he was taught, he was 
easy for Democrats to tie him to other Republicans. Now you have Republicans from the New York delegation. Many of these Republicans, like Anthony D'Esposito, who are facing very tough reelection bids, who are now turning on him, calling on him to resign. He, there was a time, and it's because the district he represents is very much a swing district, where he was able to sort of skirt those calls, um, you know, and play it that way. And you saw McCarthy for a while wasn't going right. to go near that. That's slowly changing because I think he's talk, it's toxifying the rest of the party. All right. And did you hear about this? The House Republican Ken Buck from Colorado says he is not running for re-election. He voted to oust Kevin McCarthy as the speaker and was also a critic of the House impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Here's why the congressman says he is now done. Too many Republican leaders are lying to America, claiming that the 2020 election was stolen, describing January 6th as an unguided tour of the Capitol. It is impossible for the Republican Party to confront our problems and offer a course correction for the future while being obsessively fixated on retribution and vengeance. If we had a Chris Cam, it would have shown you nodding during that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I don't think this is significant just because he agrees with me and therefore is a genius. <laughs> uh, 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 it, uh, it is evident that a Republican Party that can't release the 2020 election is not only a liability to itself and makes it harder to win elections, but it's a liability to the country, right? This is not what you do. Uh, I use the analogous situation of when defund the police became a buzzword uh, in Democratic circles after the murder of George Floyd. They learned, right? Well, actually, we shouldn't say that. There's truth in it, uh, and we were speaking to a larger feeling, but voters don't want to hear us say defund the police. So we're not going to say that anymore. These Republicans who just chose as their speaker, a guy whose only his signal accomplishment when he was in Congress was to lead the effort to try to steal the 2020 election, and it became a litmus test for the candidates for speaker. Did you try to help steal the election? Did you try to ste- help try to steal a second turn for Donald Trump? That's crazy, right? Because that's not what voters want to talk about for next year. And in 2022, we saw it, you, you saw it, you all saw it, which was the Republicans threw away their chance for a big year to exploit voters' frustrations with inflation and backlash against COVID policies because Donald Trump and these people couldn't let it go. Ken Buck is 100% right, and I always applaud courage even when I disagree with it, but in this case, I agree with it, so he gets two brevet stars. <laughs> Speaking of Donald Trump, uh, the first of Trump's children took the stand in the former president's $250 million potentially civil fraud trial. The state of New York is charging the Trump organization, uh, organization's financial statements were grossly inflated. Joining us now, News Nation legal contributor Jesse Weber. Jesse, hello, friend of the show. Come on back in. Um, <laughs> Good to see you. you. Know, look, I, I look at this. There, there's a lot of ways that you can look at this. But as a father, one of the last things you would ever want would be your children to be put on the stand, essentially having to defend you. And in this case, it's in a, a civil case. And we saw Donald Trump Jr. up there today. What is at stake here for Donald Trump, his children, and their, their, their business enterprise? Let me one-up you. It's not only him defending his father. It's him defending himself because he is one of the <laughs> defendants in this case. It's defending the Trump name. It's defending the Trump organization. Because what we're dealing with here is the potentiality of not only a massive civil penalty, millions and millions of dollars if the judge rules against the Trumps, 
but also basically potentially taking away the ability of this family to control these assets and run the businesses that the way they run. And so what you saw today was very important because Donald Trump Jr., central figure in the organization, an executive, the question is, did he knowingly inflate these financial statements? And he gets on the stand and he says, well, wait a minute. I have a basic understanding of accounting, of accounting, but it was really on the accountants. They were the ones who prepared these financial statements. And it was their responsibility, which is interesting because it was what? Last week when Donald Bender, who was the Trump's accountant, came on and said, I based my financial these state these statements based on the information I was getting from the Trumps. So it's kind of <laughs> finger pointing right now, and it'll be up to the judge to determine if they intended to defraud. He already said there's fraud here, but did they have the intent to defraud? Hmm. Scott, which, come, which, come which on in with Jesse fine. here. Jesse, I think you're absolutely right about that, but ultimately the judge is going to have to determine um, um, how much. Uh, the penalty is going to be the AG has yep. argued for 250 million, but this is really critical because they're parties to the lawsuit. Ivanka isn't, but uh, their testimony—if he finds it credible or not—hey, uh, I'm blaming it on the accountant. Uh, the reality is, this judge is going to break up the liability, and right now, the, the 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 kids of Trump are saying, "Well, I know about gap financing, but I don't—I I relied heavily on the uh, accountants because they were intimately involved with all of this." And you know, listen, I relied on them, I believed them, and I signed whatever they told me to sign. Uh, I ate my homework, or I didn't my homework. We'll see. But this judge knows fraud occurred already. And this is a very dangerous proceeding because he could essentially throw the book at them, charge them, make them pay $250 million and bar them from doing business in the state of New York. That is huge. I mean, Donald it, it Trump's is, under attack from a lot of different places. It, look, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The criminal case is so important because we're talking the potentiality of prison time. Here, though, yeah. I think this is the most personal case for Donald Trump because it yes. goes to his legacy, yeah. it goes to his identity. And I think well, clearly him showing also up every day been, in court means something. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. literally just about to yeah. say. He's, he's been showing yeah. up uh, just about daily. Yeah. Is there any political ram, any political ramifications here, or is this just purely... <laughs> I was just thinking about your polling numbers. This is why his polling numbers continue to go up. The more he's, quote, attacked by New York liberals... That he would say, he, he, he would say, um, the numbers go up. And if he gets barred from New York, middle America would love it. And you know what? He's been, if he has to pay a $250 million fine in cash, I think the last estimates I saw that he had $400 million in cash on hand. He could pay that, but... 250 million versus having 150 million, that's a lot of money and that's a lot of loss. And he's got to finance his campaign in some way. He's also got a daughter. Let me just say say one thing real quick here. Because his numbers have gone up since this trial. His popularity has gone up. It's like the Johnny Depp effect. He went into trial and completely changed the narrative about him based on what was happening in court. So it's very similar with what we're seeing here from the Trumps. There's there's some media schadenfreude about uh, his daughter who has tried to have it both ways, Mm. right? So she she and her husband, Jared Kushner, have made a quadrillion gazillion dollars leveraging the work that he did as an envoy for peace to the Middle East. And then as soon as he gets out of office, he's doing all this business. But now she's acting like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this January 6th monster. Well, she's going to have to go Mm. take the stand and to save her her own bacon. She's going to side with her. Jesse Weber, News Nation legal contributor. Thank you. We'll catch you soon. Good seeing you. Thanks so much, everybody. Yep. All right. Coming up, Elon Musk. Did you see what he did yesterday? Appeared on Joe Rogan. So what did he say about 
presidential campaign donations and what he thinks is smart. That's after the break. Uh, Welcome back to The Hill. So did you see this? Elon Musk joined the Joe Rogan Experience, the podcast, where he talked about how to get the most bang for your buck, essentially, when investing in politics. The value for money in local races is much higher than it is in national races. So the lowest value for money is a presidential race. Then next lowest value for money is a Senate race, then a Congress. And then, but once you get to sort of city and state district attorneys, um, the value for money is extremely good. And uh, Soros realized that you don't actually need to change the laws. You just need to change how they're enforced. Is he right there, Chris? He's the world's wealthiest man. But what about his take on money and politics? Uh, for your it was uh, Eddie Rickenbacker who said that a man has reached the pinnacle of success when he has finally lost interest in money, compliments, and publicity. <laughs> and Elon Musk, therefore, has not reached the pinnacle of success <laughs> because he still needs. I, 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 I don't know what he needs. What What does he need? He has all. He had all this money. Right. He's had all of these women. He's had all of this stuff in his whole life. Why is he going on Joe Rogan's show in a scarf? Bezos said, peace, see you on the yacht, see you on Indian Creek, have fun. What what, what are you doing? Uh, Going on Joe Rogan's show to talk about what's wrong with George Soros. Oh, and by the way, as far as George Soros' bang for the buck, uh, it it was all good, uh, all well and good until they started recalling uh, politicians all over the country. That was a one-time thing that they were able to do, that his political organization was able to do. It did not have lasting benefit. When San Francisco removes a district attorney for being too liberal, that's evidence that it was not a good investment. Yeah. Well, I think and he likes the people. crime across the country, yeah. major yeah. cities, yeah, the, all the, those people he elected. I, I, you, can, you can testify to this, I believe, which is donors vastly overstate the importance of money in politics. Mm-hmm. We all tend to overstate the importance totally. of money in politics, but donors particularly because they want to believe that they can do it. But if the dogs don't like the dog food, you're not going to sell it, right? <laughs> if you have a bad, ask Ron DeSantis. If the right, voters we aren't responding, about. there's not enough money in the world to change that. Yeah, but the second part of that is uh, we give. I'm sorry, not we give, but donors give yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. for access. That's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. On top of wanting to win, you also give for access. So, do, but do, do you think, clients. as a donor, do you think Elon's right? Uh, I think all politics is local politics, and I do think you have easier, greater access, less uh, cumbersome uh, contribution rules and political contribution rules. And I do think if you've got a local project or a state project, it's easier. It's complicated, but it still gets easier. And being able to be friendly with politicians and give away a lot of money on either side or both sides, like some of us do, uh, makes a difference. Ashley? Yeah, no, completely. I I, I think obviously the money is a lot smaller, but if you give... A couple thousand dollars to a political candidate, a presidential candidate, that's not, that's nothing. Right. If you give a couple hundred dollars to a local candidate, that's a lot of money for some of these local mm-hmm. candidates. Mm-hmm. So I do agree with that. And during the break, we were talking about Virginia and those mm-hmm. state race, state level races that are coming up next week. Well, in 2021, I mean, obviously Glenn Youngkin had a big win in Virginia, but you saw a lot of school board races and right. lots of very local mm-hmm. races in Virginia actually influence much of the national narrative. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, looking ahead to the next hour. Bingo, Chris says. Looking ahead to the next hour, Elizabeth Vargas will be digging into the 
Shifting sentiments in the U.S. about the war between Israel and Hamas. Why younger voters appear to be more sympathetic to Palestinians. Plus the concern over rising anti-Semitism on college campuses. Elizabeth will be speaking with Orrin Siegel, the vice president of the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism. That's 6 o'clock Eastern, right here on News Nation. But before we go, did you hear this earlier this morning? A legendary investor went on TV, had a message, went on television to sound the alarm about what is happening in Washington, what Stanley Druckenmiller said, and why he thinks there is one major solution. That's part of our final thoughts when the panel returns. Tomorrow, a News Nation exclusive, a mysterious incident involving UFOs hovering around the Arctic Circle and evading U.S. fighter jets. Don't you think the public had a right to know? Ross Coldhart has the exclusive tomorrow on Elizabeth Vargas Reports. All right, so before we say goodbye, a couple headlines that caught my eye earlier today. Consider this a headline from the Wall Street Journal. It says, The economy is great. Why are Americans in such a rotten mood? But then there was also this, the billionaire investor Stanley Druckenmiller basically felt the need to go out on television earlier today. When he does, he's a legend. You listen. And this is part of what he said. I want to go after entitlements. It's, it's, right. where, it's where the money is. We are spending like drunken sailors. He basically sounded the warning to Washington, which is cut the spending, stop it. We are drunken sailors. And the only way to do it or the way to do it, is to go after entitlements. Is there a politician in this town? You're, you're, you're like, what? Because no one has the, that has the guts to do it. You look distressed. No, uh, no, when you ask, is there a politician in this town? I mean, maybe they uh, personally publicly. think that. Deeply but publicly? Positive. I don't know. So, so we heard it from one of the presidential candidates. Yes. And it was Mike Bro- Pence. Yes. And, What's he doing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right? He just, yeah. he just took a... a long vacation. Yeah. Um, and so when you hear that, I mean, it just goes back to like, is there going to be any long-term thinking? Well, it gets tough though, because we're a capitalistic society and we're with a safety net. And you know, the top 10 states that get the most entitlements in the South are in the South and are red states, Republicans. So it's completely That's got to be like a per capita thing, though. It may yeah, be, but they like get more entitlements than anybody else more. in the country because of the, the, the poverty level in those states. You can't cut entitlements because then you have clearly have a society of haves and have-nots. So you've got to have the safety net. And that safety net keeps getting expensive. It's expensive to take care of poor people in this country, and that's just the reality. That's why you the can't other re- cut The it. other reality, though, is these programs are going to run out of cash. They are. Well, well, yeah. We're not getting a- them. A- right, 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 like, I, the three of us aren't going to be made. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. I think about it. I think about it. Can you rely on Social Security? Can I rely on it 30, 40 years from now? I don't know. H.L. Mencken wrote, the men the American people admire most are the most daring liars. The men they detest most are those who try to tell them the truth. On some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will get their heart's desire, and at last, the White House will be adorned by a downright moron. <laughs> 